The University of Louisville empowers students with over 50 fully online degrees and certificates in areas like business, public health, social work, engineering, and more. Flexible coursework allows time to focus on all of life's priorities. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. And the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning. I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We are recording this on St. Patrick's Day. And I thought, for the, to give people a reason to go to YouTube, mm-hmm. I'll put on my thematically selected chapeau for St. Patrick's Day. So I'm just going to tell you, if you're an audio listener, I'm not going to describe it too much. <laughs> I'm just gotta, I just got to say, you got to see it to believe it. So you should pop on over there to YouTube, and yeah. you, should, you should see it for yourself. <laughs> and I will not do my Irish brogue, um, the risk of offending any of our Irish listeners, but hey, <laughs> it's my heritage too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, we've but, talked about this. I, I, I grew up saying Scotch-Irish, and I'm like, then I started, the older I got, the more I looked into things, and I can't find any Irish. There's a lot of Scottish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's American Indian, um, but there's no, there's no Irish. <laughs> so whatever Scotch-Irish yeah. is. Well, even though this is coming out after St. Patrick's Day, we are recording it on St. Patrick's Day. And as they say, Kelvin, mm-hmm. everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day. That is what they say. That is what they say. All right. Well, uh, All right. I am curious what's in your beverage container because I'm wondering now if it's Irish coffee. <laughs> I almost did that. <laughs> I was this close, but I have to do some work after this. Uh-huh. Um, no, uh, I went with the uh, with the iced coffee again uh, yes. today. Yes. Yeah. It's not quite as hot as it has been. It's actually quite lovely and temperate out, but. Um, mm-hmm. um, Still felt like, because we're recording this in the afternoon, sort of felt like uh, an appropriate sort of selection for me. I got you. Well, um, I will tell you what I've got here. But first I'll say you might recall, because I know you keep score of these things, you might recall that a couple of episodes back, I think it was maybe in uh, episode 133, I brought in a single origin Guatemala Los Volcanes from Louisville Roaster Sonagos Coffee. Uh, you might remember the fact that I brewed it poorly but drank it anyway and said, hey, you, you, yeah, I'm glad you didn't drink this one. Now, today's coffee sounds similar. It's a single origin Guatemala El Volcan from Olympia, Washington and Atlanta, Georgia. There's a company and they have roasteries on the West Coast and East Coast. Uh, the roaster's called Batdorf and Bronson, and they're also known by this other name because uh, they're joined companies, Dancing Goats Coffee. Uh, I like it. Yes. I think our former colleague, Jackie Compton, uh, tried to sell me on that coffee a few years ago. I mean, meaning to get some, and it turns out I got some, didn't really quite realize it. So I thought it would be interesting to compare and contrast the two coffees, the one from a couple episodes back and the one from today. So this one, I did brew appropriately, and it is tasty, so there's at least that. Uh, The titles of each coffee reference the volcanic region of Guatemala, right? Los Volcanes and El Volcan which that volcanic region enriches the local coffee growing soil, but the two areas are uh, separated by about 
15 miles from each other. The earlier coffee came from an area in Guatemala called Antigua or Antigua, I don't know. And today's coffee, and today's coffee comes from an area called, uh, I'm scared to even try it, but uh, Acatenango, Acatenango. One coffee was roasted near where I now live in Louisville and the other was roasted in the East Coast Roastery, a little closer to where you live, Tom. So I wish I could be sharing this with you uh, in your cup, but I'm hoping that maybe there somewhere you found a connection to today's topic. Um, I think I did, and I don't think it's the geography of Guatemala, <laughs> uh, which was fascinating. Acatanango. Uh, um, yeah, I'll, I learned something new today. But you did mention something about comparing and contrasting the two brews. And um, I think that's it um, because we're going to we're going to compare and contrast and talk about differences and similarities in, in different contexts within the world of higher ed online learning. Am I close? Yep. Ding, 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 ding. So as you and I have been talking about off microphone, prompted somewhat by my move to a new institution, we've been discussing the importance of institutional context to how we carry out our work of fostering excellence in digital teaching and learning. And uh, if you were paying attention, dear listener, Jocelyn Widmer wisely observed the importance of context back in episode number 126, Colo's Context and Community. You should check it out if you haven't already done so. So we thought we might do a bit of compare and contrast between our two institutions as the basis for making some observations related to how institutional context affects our work. Sounds good. And I might, uh, I don't know, draw on other campuses I've visited, either sure. spoken at or consulted at, yeah. and you, I know you've done similar things. So mm -hmm. even though that's a bit of a more surface um, mm -hmm. understanding of a place, you still kind of get a sense. So um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting uh, conversation. Um, kind of before we clicked record, we were saying that you know most of us have the same goals or similar mm -hmm, goals anyway, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it has to do with student success and revenue and enrollment and, you know, all the things that are like the measures of higher education. But accomplishing those goals within the context with, with where you work, it can be wildly different. The strategies you have to employ, the way you go about it, mm -hmm. the way things are funded, all of that stuff. And so, Oh, you going uh, to another institution seemed like a really opportune time to just sort of at least, given your knowledge of UCF and now your knowledge of Louisville, an opportunity to kind of just reflect on that. Yes, although I will say as a bit of a uh, disclaimer that, as I say all the time, I'm, I'm kind of new here, uh, so I certainly don't have quote-unquote complete understanding, uh, whatever that is, of the institution, and I don't even have a whole lot of institutional data yet, which we'll talk about. So it's possible that I'll inadvertently mischaracterize some aspect of U of L, but that's not my intention. Um, you know, I, I uh, mean well, and uh, I'm reminded of this one thing that I remember Jocelyn Whitmer saying in your interview with her. You know, she said, you know, everybody tends to start from their previous context and kind of want to lay that on a new context. And um, she sort of said that you would, you could make decisions based on that sort of graft of context and be 
I think she said something like, be paying for it for years to come. Like mm. you, could, you could make like dumb decisions, right? <laughs> so yeah. I think about that in every single conversation that I have here. As you know, I've been pursuing uh, 90 conversations in 90 days and every one I start with, I'm new here. I don't have a lot of institutional context. I'm looking to form some vicariously and I don't want to do dumb things. Yeah, and I think it was, was it, was it Shuba Kashyap when, when we interviewed her on the show? Yes, yes. Talked about when you go into a new yep. context, a yep. new job, it's like going to another country. That's, and that's right. understanding the culture and that's the right. language and all mm -hmm. of that. And I, I think that there's some truth to that because yep. like when I've traveled, going to a country like China is very different than going to a country like England. Right, mm -hmm. as far as the cultural milestones, the language, all you know, in some ways you're able to kind of start interacting a lot more easily because the context is similar, as opposed to someplace else where the language is completely different and the the institutional culture is very different. So, I, yeah. I thought that was kind of an apropos, yeah. um, you know, analogy. Yeah, I think that's right. We'll we'll stick a link to uh, Shuba's episode back in the show notes, because if you didn't listen to that or you haven't listened to it in a while, you should listen to it again. It was, it was extremely insightful. I, I remember that uh, really, really well. So, I mean, I guess starting off, I mean, we could do a little bit of ping-ponging um, comparisons and contrasts um, between some of the various structural features of the institutions and the surrounding communities. But as you said before we hit record, the important thing is really in what we make of that, you know, kind of how you digest it and, and what you do with it, I think. But uh, maybe we just kind of bounce around a little bit. Like, for instance, um, Florida and Kentucky, in some ways similar, in some ways different, both in the southeastern part of the United States, um, but opposite diagonal corners, right? Uh, I'm still fascinated by Kentucky. <laughs> Cross the river one way and you're in the Midwest, you know, cross it another way. You're in the north central part of the United States. Cross it another way. You're coming up on the the East Coast, and you know we're in the we're in the South and gateway to the South. Some people say so. And then Florida is the South, and yet not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as like I like to say, the in Florida, the more north you go, the further south you get. Mm -hmm. So yeah. there's something to that. I, I've said that exactly the same way, and yeah. uh, vice versa. The farther south you go, the farther North. north you go. <laughs> that's yeah, right. that's true. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah that's. that's interesting. And, um, you know, we have palm trees, so we got that, and gators, uh, mm -hmm. got that going for us. Well. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the state goes, I think there's a lot of similarities even in like the broader political context that mm -hmm. you kind of, you're at a public institution, mm -hmm. another public institution, and so you got to navigate those waters sometimes. And so that's, um, that's, that's probably something that's more similar than different, I would imagine. Yes. Um, another similarity is the Carnegie classification of the institutions is um, darn similar. There might be some of those, um, what do they call them? The, the, those, op, what are they? they're not optional, whatever, those other little descriptors, there might be a little variation there. But uh, both institutions, I think, are research universities, very high research activity. Some people still say R1 by shorthand, and both are also community engaged. I think UCF has some other descriptors as well. Yeah, um, and, and of course, you know, L has been around a lot longer than 
than UCF and probably within that very high research activity, I, I would presume generates a lot more funded research dollars, sponsored research dollars than, than we do, but um, <laughs> we're doing our best to catch up. Yeah, uh, UCF, uh, what, 60 years old in the year 2023? Uh, UofL, 225 years old in 2023. It is yeah. a very weird thing to be at an institution um, that has roots that far back. The, um, one of the things I thought was interesting is both institutions claim that phrase that um, now departed um, former UCF president Dr. John Hitt used to um, uh, invoke Metropolitan Research University, and both are very proud of that. Um, so it might be worth making a, a moment or two note of the surrounding metropolitan areas um, of Louisville and Orlando. Uh, Orlando and Central Florida are bigger, <laughs> population-wise. Uh, I was I found it interesting. I guess census, you know, they try to keep things consistent, so they look at like a roughly four thousand square mile metropolitan statistical area, and UCF's I mean UCF Central Florida is basically like twice the size of uh, the Louisville metro area, population-wise. Well, um, you know. For good or ill, Florida is the, I think, is officially the fastest growing state in the country. That's right. So there's like a thousand people a day move in here and an awful lot of them end up in central Florida. Um, I think at one point we were, maybe we're higher than that now, but like the 19th largest mm. TV market or something like that. Yeah, you, you see um, house prices are a little lower in Louisville, yeah. a little higher in the Orlando area. Um, both have some... Uh, Fortune 500 companies, um, although I think Louisville has a Fortune 100 company as well. Um, the largest employers, maybe this is not surprising, uh, involves healthcare and public school system in some ways, although Orlando has uh, Walt Disney World. <laughs> yeah, we got And that. Louisville has UPS. <laughs> yeah. Which, which well, is like Disney. A lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to wait in line for rides, right? That's no, right. Just at least the the boxes do, right? That, that, that's um, right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and you know, I think um, in some of your notes here, um, you reminded me that we have two Fortune 500 companies headquartered here, and I'm not sure I realized. I mean, one I knew, Darden Restaurants. Yep. The other one was Publix, which I guess hasn't always been a Fortune 500, but maybe it yep. is now. Yep. But Disney's not headquartered here, but it right. is a major. Major yes. employer and major influence in the state. I believe it or not, Tom. When I looked at uh, Publix, it's like three, four points off from being a Fortune 100 company. No kidding. Well, yeah. they've been expanding a lot. I'd be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're in Kentucky yet, but if not, they're hidden. There's uh, on the outskirts of Louisville. There's a Publix opening. People are excited. Yeah, where shopping is a pleasure. I've not been in paid for that endorsement. That's, that's right. Um, Louisville area, a little bit less diverse. Um, what, uh, Orlando, the core county, Orange County in the Orlando metro area is 33% Hispanic, 25% African American, 7% Asian, median age, 36, versus Louisville, the, the main county, which is Jefferson County, 25% African American, 6.5% Hispanic, 4% Asian, and the median age, 38. So close, but just a, you know, 
tiny bit older, a little bit less diverse. Yeah, but in that context, these two universities sit. So UCF yeah. grew like a, I don't know, sunflower. I don't want to say weed. You know, <laughs> big yes. and beautiful. That's right, like bamboo here in the bamboo. south. Bamboo. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. And I, I think that owning and really, um, you know leaning into that metropolitan research university label uh, is a is a definite area of similarity. Um, we're both sort of, you may be a little more urban than, than we are, um, but we're, we're not like in some remote, you know, small town, like a small liberal arts college, and that's mm -hmm. all there is in that space. I mean, we are in a large metropolitan area and mm -hmm. we're, we're the university in in this city, mm -hmm. so there you That's go. That's right. Yeah. And what a university, right? So I don't know what what are what are the current enrollment numbers at UCF? Yeah, um, this past fall, I think we were at sixty eight thousand five hundred ish. Um, I think our enrollment plan has us, you know, being around seventy um, when we're you know trying to shape the mix of that a little bit between in state, out of state, undergrad, grad. We're mostly undergrad, as you know, we have about 10,000 graduate students. Um, about 10% of our headcount is in UCF online. And um, yeah, it's, um, we're big, right? We're big. Whereas uh, UofL, uh, so just a little bit over 23,000 students, so that's almost a third the size of uh, the student population. And uh, you mentioned uh, UCF Online, like uh, there are, what, more than 100 online programs at UCF, and there's a little bit over 60 online programs here. But here, too, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10%, little more than 10% of those 23,000 students are enrolled in exclusively online programs here. So, you know, for the, for the proportions, it, it may be a few more online programs than you would expect to, to see maybe, but the, the proportionality is not far off. But yeah, that's interesting, that 10% number being the same. It more or less, but I think what's distinct is delving into other aspects of digital teaching and learning, though. I think we start to see some differences. So let's do that in the time we have remaining. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> recognizing you're still on your listening and learning tour, but um, you're familiar with how we're organized here to support distance yeah. learning and blended learning. And it's, I would say, a primarily centralized model mm -hmm. um, with the academic work owned in the colleges. So that's distributed mm -hmm. out. So the faculty own mm -hmm. the courses, they schedule their courses, all of that. I know in some places the online unit does a lot more when you say centralized than, mm -hmm. than we do, but as a support unit, we're centralized. We don't have instructional designers in the colleges and things like mm -hmm. that. And so how does that model compare to Louisville? It's both similar and different. I mean, there is a, a central support unit um, that's under my purview, but I would call the culture itself, you can kind of feel it, right, as um, it's a little more decentralized. So even though there's a central support unit, there's a lot more collaboration, I don't even know that that's quite the right word, a lot more involvement, a lot more dependence on um, 
other entities as well as the academic units, like in terms of vetting uh, online programs, let's say. And mm -hmm. it's clear to me that to move forward anything, that's not something I'm going to do unilaterally. You know, you wouldn't do that either. You'd be very right. collaborative. But I, I don't see any way but to do that, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, you have, to, you have to kind of work together um, in, um, in that sense. Another difference is you got required faculty development at UCF, serving as a bedrock foundation for quality assurance. While there's a lot of great, um, robust programming here, none of it's required. And so that part's a little different. Central support unit, but not everything flows through. Right? It's like yeah. there will be more likelihood to seek online program marketing help and less like instructional design process, that kind of stuff, which, you know, is a little concerning to me, right? Because I, you start with quality, then you go sell it. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm going to make an observation that's based on no data except just sort of my own personal anecdotal experience and what you just said. But my experience has been when I've dealt with institutions that have a history like Louisville's, like mm. two, been around for 200 years, yep. it's more yep. likely that it's going to be decentralized and not have mm -hmm. required faculty mm -hmm. development. That's right. And as opposed to a school that's maybe a little younger, like yep. a UCF, yep. um, and it's just a, that's an interesting dynamic that if you're working yep. in an institution like that, that you're just going to have to figure out your path. Totally agree with that. That's been my observation through the years, and um, so I expected that coming in here, and that it's been borne out. There's a lot more digital course modality variation at UCF. Right. I mean, I won't even try to stay up to date now, but I mean, that includes... We're thinking about changing it again. I, I heard uh, yeah. room, word on the street that, but at the very least, it includes in-person, online, and blended, along with um, asynchronicity and synchronicity. Here, there's in-person and there's online. And um, one of the things I've been learning is um, I'm, there's a bit of a backlog. I'm waiting on getting my hands on some institutional data. Um, so I've just been scouring public stuff. But what's fascinating is the word online generally only applies to online programs. It's very difficult to find any mention of online courses. So you could think, oh, there must not be any outside of the online programs. Not true. Mm. Um, so I went and I scoured you know, a former semester schedule search and uh, like fall 2021, which I was looking at a lot of data, and that's where that was a semester that there were complete data for like everything. And uh, in that fall, there were like 1,100 fully online course sections. Uh, and if you look at attempted credit hours, if I read it all right and and kind of approximated uh, a little, it's maybe not far off from UCF's proportions. Um, about a third of the credit hours came from. Uh, online course sections, which is about what UCF runs, as I recall, more or less. Uh, yeah, when yeah, when you when you talk about uh, especially All credit the digital, hours, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. when I'm, that's, right. that's which is usually how I measure and report it because it, yeah. it correlates to revenue. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, that that's that's interesting too. Hmm. Um, what else you want to compare and contrast? See, uh, you've got. Um, very conservatively, 85 plus percent of UCF students 
are digitally engaged, we might say. They're taking at least one online blended course every year. I have no idea at UofL. I, I think that's probably the case, um, but I think that's an area I want to explore more because as you and I have discussed, I believe that hybridity is the future. So it's all about, you know, fully online programs are just one part of the pie, right? So we need to understand more about student course taking behavior and make sure that we're working with it and not against it. You got a, you've got a robust funding model at UCF? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we do. I, I can't complain um, about the, the distance learning fee, which is really how we're funded. And it's a, it's a per credit hour fee that students pay. And the good part about that model, there's two good things and then there's some bad things. But the good thing about the model is one, because it's tied to the credit hour as people enroll more, it scales up so that we can support it. It's not a flat funding model. Um, so that's good. It scales with, with growth. Um, the other thing is it's, it's statutorily governed, which means that the institution can't swoop in and spend it on other things. So um, it's protected it from, from being used. Now, that same protection also limits us from spending it on other things that we'd like to spend it on, like supporting you know, in class, on campus, digital innovation. We just can't use it for that. And over the years, thanks to different, you know, times when the state has given and the state has taken away, um, we've been, our, our non-distance learning fee allocation has, has shrunk significantly. So we're mostly funded by this restricted fee and, you know, uh, in, in years past, we would have been more able to do that kind of work um, and, frankly, to market and um, even pay faculty, which, can, which is often a, a barrier to growth. We just don't have the faculty bodies for capacity. Um, we can't spend that DL fee on that. Uh, and that's been a limiter in our ability mm -hmm. to, to grow. That's, that's right. Um, here, um, it's just one university budget model, which is a, a kind of RCM, Responsibility Center Management um, model in which a portion of tuition revenues fund all service units, including the one that reports to me, um, which includes online digital teaching and learning. So that's not growth oriented, right? That's, it's after the fact, you're going to get, and so if, if Tuition, if enrollment, I know this is radical, Tom, but in other places in the country, enrollments are um, are concerned. They're going down some. I, I know that's not quite the case in, in Florida, but as enrollments go down, tuition declines. That means that money flows. Uh, it trickles, right? And it's hard to lead and be strategic if that's the way that you're funding this innovative effort. Interesting. So yeah, so the the funding is a lagging. Um, it, it follows the semester after you measure, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So I'm hoping to change that over time. You know, to at least, well, I should say change. Um, I'd like to complement that. I won't. I do not seek to change the university budget model, but no. I do seek to complement it with an approach that allows for. Um, strategic growth-oriented investment. Yeah, it was almost kind of borrow against future revenue. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. What about staffing? 
Um, you know, we've, as you know, we've, we've got here pretty much soup to nuts, everybody mm -hmm. who, mm -hmm. from instructional designers to the help desk, to media producers, to, you know, programmers, you know, everybody mm -hmm. to, to develop and deliver an online um, course. Um, is, is that similar in your centralized model there or some of that reside out like in a decentralized place? It's, um, the, the core functions are here, um, and you've got the whole division of digital learning there, including the Center for Distributed Learning, which all told is what, you're bumping up against 200 people probably, you're getting close. Yeah, I think including our part-timers, it's like 190, something like that. Here, we're, when you include full-time and part-time, I think you're, you're slightly in excess of 60, but I would say the roles in some ways it's not that the individual roles are more diverse, it's just um, the, the groupings are a little bit um, different. We, we have both the digital teaching and learning responsibility as well as general core university teaching and learning uh, responsibility. So uh, traditional teaching and learning center and uh, digital teaching and learning. Uh, plus there's a conference and event center and a permanent quality enhancement plan office, QEP being a a specific um, outgrowth of our, uh, both of our regional accreditors at the moment, SAC COC, um, that kind of seeks to foster um, institution-wide continuous improvement. So whereas they kind of swirl around in institutions, most places here, there's a, there's a devoted QEP office. And so it's part of um, the unit here. Um, but there's, you don't have a lot of dedicated marketing people directly in the division, uh, mainly because of that funding uh, stipulation that you said. Yeah. Here, there's a lot of emphasis on online program marketing. That's a, one of the major things that got my attention at first. That's interesting. Well, as you know, we do fund with the little non-restricted mm -hmm. funding we get, um, several lines and a, uh, and a media budget, but it's, yep. it's not adequate. It's uh, modest. It's modest to do what what our ambitions are, and uh, in comparison with our peers, we're, we're not even close. So I'm working on that, as you know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's probably worth noting it, when you're talking about institutional comparisons. Uh, they're never perfect. They're never truly apples to apples. There's always differences, and we've talked a lot about numbers and quantitative and all that. But context is not only uh, quantitative. A lot of institutional context is qualitative and best understood in conversation and relationship with colleagues. That's why I'm <laughs> to these 90 conversations in 90 days. But as I, I know we're, we're going to bump up on time, go over a little bit here probably, but as, as we kind of talk that through, you have any takeaways about kind of these, this, this compare and contrast between the institutions? Um, honestly, uh, I, I think, I can't say I'm terribly surprised because I've, I've seen kind of what you've described in other, in other places. And, but it's also, the, like we said when we kicked off, the, the goals are, are the same, right? You want mm -hmm. students to do well in classes. You want to prepare faculty. You want them to graduate. You, you want to generate revenue for the institution. Mm -hmm. you, know, you want to have a high-quality, engaging experience. You know, all of that stuff, we all have those same goals. But we live in this little, like, you know, 
special place where uh, you have a quasi RCM model or mm -hmm. I have an internal OPM or I have an external mm -hmm. OPM or like whatever it is, you know, hey, I, all the IDs live in the colleges and I mm -hmm. have to mm -hmm. get them to do the work. And mm -hmm. I think about places like um, what little I know about Penn State World Campus, you know, they've got the World Campus and I think on-campus teams can almost contract with them to do their online courses for them. If I'm not mistaken, somebody from mm. Penn State will email me and correct me. Um, but, you know, I think all these models, you just got to find the one that works for your institution to accomplish those those goals. And, mm -hmm. and you're in the midst right now of sort of finding that path and figuring mm -hmm. out how to navigate um, and, and, you know, work within the system. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I'm... I'm I'm used to having very ready access to all manner of data, you know, um, for almost almost since the inception of the initiative there at UCF, it's been very data driven. Uh, originally, there were a bunch of Excel spreadsheets or whatever, and then a database and it harvest from the student information system and, and all, you know all kinds of data. Uh, having institutional data does inform our understanding of context. I can't wait to get some. Um, but reality is every place is different in terms of how easy it is to get those data and know how you're doing. Yeah. So as we've talked before, it's easy, it's tempting even to define your progress, your work, your success in terms of your own I don't know, your own terminology, your own work, your 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 inputs rather than your outputs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How many faculty did we train? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. That's not yeah. what it's about. That's a means no. to an end. Yeah. That's correct. That's yeah. that's right. Can't wait to get me some data. Um, <laughs> there's different cool. ways of conceptualizing online, digital, online and digital teaching and learning. Like we've talked about, there's all kinds of approaches to modalities and um, the emphasis on um, fully online programs and the marketing of those and in, and in what spheres are they marketed, that can vary. Uh, the, the extent to which online or whatever is kind of over there versus a core part of the institution, we didn't talk yep. about that explicitly, yep. but it's very core to the work of UCF. Yeah. Wow, I think, I don't know, maybe there's a to be continued on this conversation. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface on some of this eh, stuff. We can check back in down yeah. the road. Um, uh, a little bit maybe, but um, in the interest of time, since we've already exceeded the patience of our, our listeners maybe, shall I try to get the plane on the runway? Let's. All right. So perhaps we'll say by way of wrap up that while institutional contexts vary, our missions and goals are all very similar, as you mentioned, Tom. This diversity of context informs the ways we effectively pursue these goals of our online digital education work, whether even we're working with or occasionally, dare I say, against institutional culture. At least we do so knowingly, right? Like, That's right. How's that? Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that and reflecting on your kind of unique perspective with a foot recently in this world and now both in that world. 
yeah, and I hope I haven't done a disservice to U of L. And I'm new here, you know. <laughs> don't hold it. Don't hold it against me. I uh, look forward to learning uh, more, and we'll talk. Maybe we should do that. Go a few months down the road, do another check-in or something. Yeah. Well, Tom, uh, I wish I could be really sharing the coffee with you, but it was nice to visit and uh, and have a virtual, uh, remotely shared cup of coffee. So until next time for Topcast, I'm Kelvin, and I'm Tom. See you.